Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 65. Today I'll be talking about the murder of Gail Fulton. My sources for today's episode are Snapped, Season 28, Episode 17, Oxygen.com, DeadlyWomen.Fandom.com, Medium.com, and CrazyKillers.WordPress.com. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in today's show notes. They appear to be the ideal couple living a picture-perfect life. White picket fence, two cars, a dog, kids, and... It's like, wow, this is blissful. She was very focused on being a good mother, a good wife, a good person. But all is not as perfect as it seems. Even people with zero enemies, there's someone out there who doesn't like you. And the peace of a quiet community is shattered when one of its most innocent residents is murdered. On October 4th, 1999, two Lotown librarians called 911 around 9 p.m. They said that their friend, Gail Fulton, was lying in a pool of blood and dying. The police tried to administer a CPR, but she had been shot in the head and twice in the stomach and chest area. Gail was pronounced dead. Now, before I get back into the case, I'm going to go back to the beginning and talk to you about Gail Fulton. Martha Gail Garza was born in 1951 in Corpus Christi, Texas. She was kind, smart, and social. Gail had a great childhood. Her parents were described as amazing people. Her family was very devoted to the Catholic Church. Gail's family belonged to a social group back in the day for the Hispanic community at the church. All the kids were close in age and hung out. For high school, Gail enrolled in an all-girls Catholic academy. Gail was very smart and accomplished and in anything she put her mind to. In 1969, at the start of her senior year in high school, Gail started dating George Fulton. They met in a Catholic youth group, and they were complete opposites. Gail was quiet and shy, but George was an overachiever, athletic, and the president of his class. After high school, the couple went their separate ways for college, but still continued to see each other. George went to West Point to pursue a career in the military, and Gail went to Del Mar College and then to Baylor in Texas to study to become a speech pathologist. They graduated college in 1974 and then got married. They had two sons and a daughter. They moved around the country from base to base. Gail liked being a doting military wife and a stay-at-home mom. Gail liked to cook and do arts and crafts. After two decades of being in the military, George was ready to retire from the army in 1993. After getting out of the military, George struggled to find work in Corpus Christi, Texas. He then got a job at an engineering firm in Michigan. They moved to a nice town called Lake Orion, and they lived in a nice community near the lake. The couple struggled after George started his new job. George's job was very demanding, and he traveled to Florida several times a year. Three years after they moved to Lake Orion, Gail was dead. Nothing had been taken from her purse, and she still had cash and was still wearing her jewelry. The police questioned Gail's co-workers. They said that Gail was a devoted Catholic and attended Mass every week. The police knew that they had to look into George. The co-workers of Gail's also told the police that George had had an affair with a businesswoman named Donna Trapini in Florida. George and Donna had met at a bar. Donna was born in New Orleans and was a registered nurse. She was described as very smart. In 1989, Donna moved to the Panhandle of Florida, and she started her own business, a home care business. 
Donna had been trying to set up a medical billing software on the computer, and George knew how to do that. After she met George, she hired him for the help with the finances of her business. George decided to leave his job to work for Donna. In May 1998, George moved to Florida, leaving behind his family in Michigan. In October 1998, Gail discovered George's affair with Donna. Gail confronted him, and he came clean. Gail was heartbroken, but decided to stay with George. Gail went to church every day and prayed to keep her marriage together. George then moved back to Michigan and said the affair was over. Gail was just shot six months later. George was brought in for questioning. George said that he had been at home with his 17-year-old son, Andrew. His son said George never left the home that night. The police asked George about any issues in his marriage, and George admitted that he had had an affair with Donna, but said it was over. The police found George's story to be unusual because George admitted that when he got the call about Gail's death, he had been on the phone with Donna talking about business. George said the affair was over, but that Donna had given him some news after he ended things. Donna had told them that she had cancer and was pregnant. George then had the idea to bring Donna and Gil together in a hotel room shortly before the murder. He hoped that they would talk things through. George said that the meeting took place at a local hotel during the 4th of July weekend, three months before the murder. George said the three of them talked for a while and then he left to let the woman talk. George said that Gail became upset when she learned that Donna was pregnant. Gail had left in tears. George drove her home but went back to the hotel and had sex with Donna. The police then turned their attention to Donna. They called Donna at her home in Pensacola, Florida. Donna admitted to the affair but denied killing Gail. Donna told the police that she had been on the phone with George during the time of the murder and Donna told them to check her phone records. Less than 12 hours after the murder of Gail, the news spread. I'm getting in the car and my cell phone rings and it's my aunt. She said, Gail's been murdered. I just, I lost it. I lost it. I said, this, it, it can't be true. Who would want to kill her? The police checked the library surveillance cameras. The police saw Gail walk out of the library, walk up to her vehicle, and realized that she had a flat tire. Gail got out to check the tire, and another car, a sedan, then pulled up. A man dressed in black get, got out of the car and shot Gail. He fired three shots at her and then got back into the car. The police believed at, t at least two people were involved. The police couldn't see the license plate, but grainy still frames of the people involved were released to the public. A witness came forward. They said that they had been driving past the library at the time and saw the sedan. The person said that there were actually three people inside the car. They verified that the person driving was a woman, and they could only see a silhouette. On November 19, 1999, an unexpected call came into the police. A man named Brian Miller called them from Florida. He said he had information about the murder. Brian said he believed his ex-girlfriend, Sybil Padgett, and her new boyfriend, Patrick Alexander, had been involved in Gail's death. Brian said just a few days earlier, Sybil had actually confessed to him that she had been involved in a murder in Michigan. After the call, the police were looking into Sybil and Patrick. Sybil was a certified nurse. She had worked for Donna Trapini and was actually one of the first employees that Donna had hired. The police questioned Donna's coworkers. They said that everyone was a bit afraid of Donna. Donna was ambitious but difficult to deal with. They said that Donna could fly off the handle at little things. They revealed that George and Donna's relationship was intense. Donna had a very volatile temper. George and Donna's affair lasted about a year, and they said Donna was determined not to let him go. Donna was questioned by the police again in Pensacola. They noticed a baby bump. 
Donna didn't admit to anything, and Donna was questioned for seven hours and was described as cagey. Donna told the police that Sybil had killed Gail on her own if she was, in fact, involved. Donna said that Sybil knew how in love she was with George. During the interview, Donna's cat entered the room. It jumped on her stomach, and her stomach caved in. It seemed like Donna was faking her pregnancy. The police tracked down Sybil to question her and her boyfriend, Patrick. Sybil denied being involved, and Patrick said that Donna had come up with the plan. Donna told Sybil and Patrick to drive to Michigan to kill Gail and then drive back. Patrick said that Sybil wasn't a good employee, so that's how Donna was able to convince Sybil to do this. Donna told Sybil she wouldn't be fired if she found someone to kill Gail. Donna then offered to pay her $5,000 and to pay the person who committed the crime. Donna had given Sybil and Patrick a map of where the library was and where the Fulton home was located. Donna also gave them a picture of Gail. Patrick said he and Sybil drove to Michigan on September 13th. Patrick said that they had watched Gail and discussed what they wanted to do, but they chickened out the first time. Donna then found someone who was willing to pull the trigger. His name was Kevin Allette. He was a long-haul truck driver and the former fiancé of Donna's roommate. Kevin said that he would do it if Sybil and Patrick drove him there. The three then drove to the library on October 4th, and they waited in the back of the parking lot. They drove up to Gail's car and slashed the tire. They then drove out of the lot, drove around the block, and went up to Gail as she checked her tire. They shot Gail and then headed back to Florida, and they didn't know that there was surveillance at the library. Patrick's story matched the surveillance footage perfectly, and Sybil finally admitted to it when she was confronted. Sybil was emotional and distraught. Sybil said that Kevin had jumped out of the car and pulled the trigger, and they did it for the money. Sybil and Patrick were both arrested and charged with murder. On December 2nd, the, the FBI was tipped off that Kevin was in Connecticut. Kevin's truck was surrounded by police. They called him out with a bullhorn, and he came out in a compliant manner. Kevin then confessed that he was hired by Donna Trapini. The police did a search of Sybil's home, hoping for proof that Donna was the mastermind. Inside the home was a picture of Gail, a handwritten schedule, and a map of Lake Orion. The Fulton home and library were circled on the map. The police also found a fake suicide note that was supposed to have been written by Gail to George. The handwriting and fingerprints were compared to Donna's, and it was a match. Donna Trapini was arrested. Donna said she wasn't involved. When the police patted her down, they found three towels under her shirt. She had been faking her pregnancy. Donna admitted to faking her pregnancy, but said she was really pregnant but lost the baby. She said she loved George and wanted him back. Donna didn't have cancer either. Donna told the police that George was the true mastermind, but George didn't have any involvement. Patrick Alexander accepted a plea deal in exchange for testifying against Donna and Sybil. Patrick was sentenced to 22 to 40 years in prison, and he will be eligible for parole in 2022. Kevin Allette also pled guilty in exchange for his testimony, and he had requested to serve his time in federal prison in Maine to be near his family. He was convicted of felony first-degree murder and sentenced to life without parole. Sybil and Donna were tried together with separate juries. On December 11, 2000, Sybil was found guilty of first-degree murder and conspiracy. She was sentenced to life without parole. Sybil still blames everything on Donna. Donna's motive was to get back to get George back. Donna Trapini was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life without parole. George was found not to have any involvement, but all of his and Gail's friends said the affair caused her death. While I don't think George was involved, Gail's friends and family were right. George did bring an evil person into their lives.
He tried to bring them together to maybe make himself feel better. There was obviously still anger on Donna's part, and she was able to get three other people to kill loving wife and mother. It's horrible, and they all deserve long sentences. My book recommendation for this week is Girl Forgotten by Karen Slaughter. Summary. A small town hides a big secret. Who killed Emily Vaughn? A girl with a secret. Longville Beach, 1982. Emily Vaughn gets ready for the prom. For an athlete who is smart, pretty, and well-liked, this night should be the highlight of her high school career. But Emily has a secret, and by the end of the evening, the secret will be silenced forever. An unsolved murder. Forty years later, Emily's murder remains a mystery. Her tight-knit group of friends closed ranks. Her respected wealthy family retreated inwards, and the small town moved on from her grisly attack. That's all about to change. One final chance to uncover a killer. U.S. Marshal Andrea Oliver arrives in Longville Beach on her first assignment to protect a judge receiving death threats, but in reality, Andrea is there to find justice for Emily. The killer is still out there, and Andrea must discover the truth before she gets silenced, too. I love Karen Slaughter. She is a great author, and I just love this genre of books in general. This book kept me guessing throughout the whole time, and I also love the flashbacks and present-day time change. I definitely give this book a 9 out of 10. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. I'd love to know what you think. As usual, please subscribe to my blog, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, buy me a coffee, rate and review. I'll be back next week with an all-new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.